Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Altitude Crime. I'm Amelia Allen, and we're here discussing Colorado true crime, as always. In keeping with my theme for the month, there will be a horror movie recommendation at the end of the episode, if you're interested. And October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I have dedicated a number of this month's episode to this dynamic. If you are a victim of domestic violence, there is help. Call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-SAFE, which is 800-799-7233, or visit thehotline.org. But today we are changing up the case that we are covering a little bit and actually going to be talking about one of the few unsolved cases in Windsor, Colorado. Now, when I started Altitude Crime, I did not realize that our 31st episode would fall on October 31st, but that means we need to cover a Halloween case because truth is always more terrifying than fiction. Sorensen, who was 79, and his wife Doris, who was 66, lived in Windsor, Colorado. Now, Windsor is located about an hour north of Denver, just outside of Greeley, Colorado, which is the home of the University of Northern Colorado. The couple owned a jewelry store at 404 Main Street in Windsor and had ran Sorensen Jewelers for about 27 years. Doris served as the saleswoman most of the time, at the counter and ready to greet guests of the store. While Alan, on the other hand, tended to work in the back of the store, repairing pieces, working on fittings, things like that. The couple kept to themselves and weren't partiers and didn't keep a really busy social schedule, but they had been known to be very generous. They often donated anonymously and really shows that they did it just because they could, not because they needed the recognition. On November 5th, 1984, people had started to realize that they had not seen the Sorensons in a few days, and the jewelry store had not been open since Halloween day. So police went to check on the store. They didn't really see anything out of place and decided to go to the Sorensons' home, where the newspapers had been piling up on the porch. Ellen and Doris's bodies were found inside their home at 519 Locust Street. Their dog had also been killed during the murder. The Greeley Tribune would later report that a murder-suicide had been ruled out pretty quickly, and something about what investigators found at the scene indicated that the case was a double homicide really right off the bat. Initially, the Sorensen's identities were withheld as the investigation began, and many details have not been released to this day. Investigators found that while they did not find the Sorensen's bodies until November 5th, the couple had actually been killed on Halloween a few days earlier. Police are unclear on if this was before or after trick-or-treaters would have been around in the neighborhood, but according to neighbors, it wouldn't have been unusual for the Sorensons to turn off their porch light on Halloween and not have goodies for the neighborhood children that night. 
In the early stages of the investigation, the way in which the Sorensons were killed was also withheld from the media. But a year after the murders, it was confirmed that both Allen and Doris were both bound and strangled to death. The number of assailants believed to be involved is also not public information. However, what we do know is that the Sorensen's jewelry shop was actually targeted almost exactly a year prior to the murders. On October 30th, 1983, burglars took more than $27,000 worth of items from the shop, and three people were arrested for the burglary. So I'm sure you're wondering, could these two be connected? Well, no easy answers there. All three people that were involved in the burglary were all behind bars or in police custody at the time of the murders. Police have disclosed that there was no damage to the Sorensen's home, but they have not told the public if there were any items that were taken from the couple's home. But they have confirmed that nothing was taken from the Sorensen's jewelry store. A year into the investigation, police did not have any suspects and had publicly said they were waiting for people with information to come forward to shed light on the case. There were pretty much no needs initially, and there were no leads then. A year later, in 1985, there was a glimmer of a suspect. Larry E. Blim, who was 41, was a suspect in the homicide of 20-year-old Denise Davenport, who was killed in April 1985. He was also loosely connected to the 1984 Christmas Day murder of 32-year-old Donald Ova, as well as the Sorensons. No evidence was released publicly as to why he was supposedly connected to either of these latter two cases. And from what I can find, he really never comes up again, so I don't know how much of that is really valid and how much was just seeing if there was maybe a string of murders occurring from this one person. If you are wondering, Blim was sent for psychiatric evaluation after his arrest and was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic in 1968. He was eventually found not guilty in Denise's killing by reason of insanity. But in a twist, psychiatrists would discover Blim was legally sane, but deemed him extremely dangerous to the public. And I'm unsure if this diagnosis changed again or what happened, but he was released from hospitalized care in 1977. And who knows from there? As far as the Sorensen's case, some of the portions of the investigation have halted because people with connections to the murders or to the Sorensen's have passed away. Over the course of the investigation, Weld County investigators worked with other counties to find similar cases, and reward posters were circulated even to other states. Above all, outside of a financial motive, there was little reason for anyone to kill the Sorensons, which makes it even harder to identify a suspect or suspects. Windsor Police Chief John Michaels, who was the police chief at the time of the killings, said he did not want this case to get forgotten. And remember, that's why I do what I do. This case is still open but inactive. And at this point, police are needing information that could spark something to help solve one of Windsor's very few unsolved cases. If you have any information, no matter how small, about the Sorensen's murders, please call the Windsor Police Department 
at 970-674-6400. Okay, my wonderful listeners, it's been a while since we've covered an unsolved case. So let's break down some bits of information here. Musing number one. Now, it may seem like maybe people should have sounded the alarms a little sooner when you hear that the Sorensen's jewelry store was closed for a few days. But remember, this is not as abnormal as it may have seemed. You're looking at the 80s, the days when there's a lot more mom and pop stores, especially in a small town like Windsor. It only had a population of about 1,500 people at the time. So things like this were not as uncommon as it might seem today where we've got a lot of chain stores and you've got bigger staffs and things are just always open no matter what. That wasn't really the day and time. So if that caught you as strange, it really wasn't. Musing number two. Honestly, there's a little part of this story that covering it felt like covering a horror movie because the murderer even killed the dog. If you're an animal lover, it's hard enough to hear when these people are killed this way, and then it's always worse when the pet gets it too. Musing number three. Because we're talking Halloween here, and I'm in the horror movie frame of mind, when I was reading about the cases that were super, super loosely associated with Blim, I had this thought of like him being a holiday murderer, like, He kills Denise in April, so around Easter, and he kills Donald on Christmas, and he kills the Sorensons on Halloween. Obviously, we know this is not the case. Him being connected with the Sorensons and Donald's murder never comes up in the media ever again. It never is something that's touched based on again, so we know it's not a real thing, but just the frame of mind I'm in in October, it was an odd thought that crossed my mind. Musing number four. So in a small town like Windsor, you know there's a town rumor about what has happened to the Sorensons. So here's some insight into what some people in town think might have happened. The Sorensons were known to have a lot of cash in their house. They tended to pay cash for big items. And they also would take kind of the most valuable pieces from the store home with them each night. So... There is the small town thought that somebody knew that they would have this kind of money and these items and that it would potentially make them an easy target. And I can definitely get behind this because a financial motive seems to be the most plausible as to why somebody would target the Sorensons who, from all accounts, really kept to themselves. But the only thing that throws a kink in that for me is that both of them were strangled. As a lot of us true crime aficionados know, strangling is such an intimate way to kill someone. It's not short. You make a lot of very intimate contact and eye contact during that time. It's not something you often see in like stranger killings. So I don't know for sure if the strangulation was done by an object or by like bare hands or something, but it is something that does indicate that maybe there was some kind of relationship there. And that makes you wonder if there was somebody in the Sorensen's life that just kind of snapped and nobody would assume that it's this person. Who knows? Musing number five. So there is a lot held back about this case, even over 30 years later. 
So you wonder if police feel that they maybe have a person in mind and want to be able to clarify that, but more likely they're holding a lot back mainly to kind of rule out the kind of outrageous stories. They can easily say like, okay, this is not the real deal because this is not how such and such looked or how such and such happened. And I lean more towards that being that we do know leads really dried up in this case really fast. So in keeping some more held back, it does allow police to rule those things out. I do find it interesting that with as much time having passed as it has, Usually you tend to see more information come out, but Windsor police are still keeping a lot of these details very, very close to their vest. Musing number six. I know you're wondering, DNA. So when this case happened, DNA was very much in its infancy. It was not something that was standard at crime scene investigations. It was really, really new on the scene. But as we've seen with some older cases, there was evidence collected that could be used later on, even, you know, when investigators didn't exactly know that. And some information from this case has been sent in to be tested DNA-wise, but it seems there have been no leads from it, or at least no leads that have been made public from it. So it seems that that has been kind of a dead end for right now as well. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in for a spooky episode of Altitude Crime on my very favorite holiday. I hope you're having a wonderful Halloween and thank you for spending part of your Halloween week with me. Remember to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform. This helps everybody else find the podcast and keep our crime clan growing. And as always, you can catch me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Altitude Crime Podcast and Facebook and Twitter at Altitude Crime. If you're interested on source materials for this episode, you can check that out at AltitudeCrime.com. And as promised, I do have a horror movie recommendation for you. So I am a sucker for Vincent Price horror movies, and he does a few of my favorites that are based on Edgar Allan Poe stories. My very, very favorite being Mask of the Red Death. It is on Amazon, I think, for a very, very low cost. Um, I would definitely check it out. If you're into newer horror, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It's a little, like, kind of b-roll horror but it's the best and I love Vincent Price so that is my my crowning recommendation for the month topping off here with the 31st well thanks again for tuning in and I cannot wait to tell you guys about another case next week on Altitude Crime Episode 31, Halloween in Windsor, The Sorensons, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.